Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right. It's a football Friday. Here we go. Uh, we're going to start you off with the Utes this morning. Chris Camerani writes for The Athletic, covers the University of Utah. He spoke with PK and I. We're going to play some of that interview. It's a longer interview. You can hear the whole thing at 1280thezone.com. All the shows are podcasts there. The interviews are there. Whole hours are there. Uh, but here's some of our conversation with Chris. The Utes, how do they adjust after what happened at USC with here comes another air raid offense looking to throw the ball all over the field. They struggled with Northern Illinois in the first half. They obviously gave up over 300 yards passing to USC. What are they going to do? Uh, they got a lot of work cut out for them. They, uh, I think the injury to Zach Moss makes the task that much more difficult. I, I know Kyle's been um, complimentary of those young guys behind Zach, but as we saw Friday at the Coliseum, this offense is just not the same um, as it is when Zach's back there. So, yeah, the secondary has their work cut out for him. But it's not the same kind of offense that they're going to be facing in terms of you're not going to have guys just going straight fly down the, down the center of the field and, and throwing jump balls. It's Wazoo is a death by a thousand cuts offense, and, and Utah knows that firsthand because they've lost to him four, four straight times. So it's uh, it's going to be a uh, a tough hike. Uh, I'm fascinated more than defensively. I'm fascinated to see what Andy Ludwig does offensively. Did you find it interesting that they built up Wilmore and then when Moss goes out, he doesn't play? A little bit. I, I, I think the fact that Devin Brumfield is considered their second best pass protection running back after Zach. I think that's an obvious um, insert in terms of once Zach goes out, you need a guy who can protect the quarterback when the opposing defense is sending blitzes through the gaps. And if you have a guy who is still relatively green and, and learning the system, um, it's it's not a, a great recipe for you. Uh, and, and, and Devin has proven, even last year, that's the reason why he got into games when, when Zach was hurt, was that as a true freshman, he figured out how to pass protect, and um, you're going to need that going forward if, if Zach is out for a couple games because Tyler was running for his life Friday in L.A., and Utah just doesn't really want that going forward. That was kind of a weird deal. How do you explain how much Tyler Huntley had to run for his life, how often the <laughs> USC was defense was in their backfield, and yet at the same time they ran for almost 250 yards, which is a huge number? Very odd. Um, yeah, it seemed like if when they wanted to, Utah could run at will. Um, without the penalties, I think you could argue that Utah maybe gets close to 300 yards rushing total on the ground. Um, but when Tyler dropped back to pass, I don't know. Um, I mean, USC does have talented guys up front. They have uh, that Utah kid, Jay Tufele, who went to Bingham. He had a very standout game. And they got Christian Rector back, who was a, who's a very impressive defensive end. So it's, it was... One of those things where um, the defensive or the offensive line just struggled to adjust um, to a basic four-man rush, and when USC brought pressure, it was uh, it was not good for that Utah offensive line. So there's also some issue about uh, Huntley. If that doesn't happen, where he plays, man, it seemed to me that the Utes would be in a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, we will uh, we will be seeing. Uh, There'll be a lot of people with binoculars on press row Saturday night uh, at Rice-Eccles Stadium to see who's doing what two hours before kick. Um, 
we'll see. I mean, Kyle said yesterday that Drew Lisk was the number two quarterback as of last Friday in L.A., um, despite Jason Shelley essentially helping lead Utah to a Pac-12 South title last year. Um, we'll see. I don't. I don't. There, there is uh, something interesting about that number two qu- quarterback battle, and and maybe it's just Andy Ludwig asserting himself and and making guys earn it. And you can't really rest on your laurels under him. And that's what I'm assuming. Drew is uh, more consistent in practice, and that's what Kyle said. So, um, if there's a chance Tyler can't go, uh, that will be another fascinating subplot to this game on Saturday. So were you surprised when the line came out and the Utes were favored by six? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's uh, especially considering you're not likely to see Zach this weekend, and um, it, I'm going to keep beating this horse, but if Zach's healthy, this team is going to be fine. But when he's not, they uh, they have some work cut out for him, especially considering the offensive line struggles and pass protection, as we've seen, and I don't know about these wideouts. I, I, I think that there's a, I mean, it's all an organic thing. It's not, it's never one thing, but there are a lot of times where Tyler didn't have anywhere to go with the ball when he dropped back. And a couple seconds into that pass rush, there were guys in his face and he had to figure out how to uh, freestyle and, and either get out of sacks or, or get up the field. So it's going to be a huge test. And Wazoo traditionally does well defensively. So it's, um, yeah, there are a lot of questions, as Kyle said, Friday in L.A., and, and there's not a lot of answers right now. Is this Utah secondary overrated? <sighs> I think yes and no. Um, I, I think maybe we overrated them a bit in the fact that they were replacing two NFL-caliber safeties and were essentially transitioning one guy who was a lifetime cornerback to a starting free safety spot, and he's he was banged up, you know, after that Idaho State game. And um, I was able to talk to Julian yesterday after practice, and he isn't really sugarcoating anything. He put everything on himself and, and that secondary. So uh, I think what they have going for them is the fact that they have a team like Wazoo coming to town who can um, not erase those nightmares of L.A., but can maybe make it a little better. Um, and and these guys um, – they know what Wazoo's about, and you're going to have to slow down what Mike Leach is, is going to do to you, and that's what these guys have to do. And and, and, and one thing that I'm, I'm interested in seeing is how do those guys behind the starters in the secondary do once they're rotated in and out? Because as you guys know, when you're facing a team that throws the ball 60 times a game, you can't have the same four guys out there. And, and as we saw last week in L.A., the guys not named Jalen Johnson struggled a little bit. Chris Camerani joining us, Utah uh, beat writer for The Athletic. So, you know, a lot has been made by Utah fans. Why would they come out and play man? Why didn't they drop eight like BYU did? Well, they were rushing three and dropping eight on the 77-yard touchdown pass early in the third quarter. And that one, and I guess on the scramble also for the second touchdown, there's a safety back there. And you, just, you don't make a play on the ball. I mean, we can sit here and talk about, talent and schemes and all that but when the ball is in the air somebody just has to go get it how much yep. of this no matter what they do this week how much of this just comes down to three and a half hours on saturday and whether guys just go make plays yeah it's i mean that's definitely the case and i think outside of that shell shock first quarter 
Utah kind of, I mean, they rebounded. They, they, outside of that bomb to Pittman, they, they stabilized themselves. But again, like you said, that play was there to be made. It wasn't like Pittman was wide open beyond the, the cornerback and, and Julian. He just timed the ball better and he located the ball better. And that was, that was really odd to see. Like you, I can't remember the last time I saw a Utah secondary so discombobulated on repeated deep balls. Um, and, and maybe that goes back to PK's um, question: Were this was this group overrated? Maybe I, 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 I'm a proponent for the fact that you need to have a, a pretty, not a pretty stiff non-conference schedule to prepare you for games like this, but you got to have something ideal to to set you up. I mean, no offense to the Bengals of Pocatello, but you could tell that the speed of USC, the talent of USC, the ability of USC. Uh, you know, caught these guys off guard a little bit because they hadn't really seen anybody like that since last fall. So you wake up one morning and you decide you're going to shave the beard and no longer be as hairy. What's going on? Well, um, I mean, you know this well, PK. You're uh, you're stereotyped and stopped by TSA at the airport all the time. Yeah. So you know, you don't want to necessarily have to go through that every time you. I mean, you buy pre-check for a reason, but they still manage to get you, as you know so well. So after the after Salt Lake and LAX, I, I decided to mix it up, and it's kind of a, an experiment. We're going to see if my data points line up for my next trip or not, but that was the uh, the thinking behind it. I'm a little tired of getting my palms swiped. <laughs> How often has that happened? What are we? What are we like? Out of ten, out of five. Yeah, yeah, out of ten. ten. Out of ten. Out of ten trips to the airport. How often do you get pulled over to the side and six to seven? Really? Yeah. Coming home. Coming home from Brazil, I got taken off the plane, but randomly selected in Brazil, mind you. And uh, they took me off the plane. They grabbed my bag. They opened it up. They emptied it out on the you know that jetway thing and they went every which way so this is the world we're living in and i'm 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 blessed to be a part of it you think it's because you're dark-skinned and you have a beard and long hair uh no i i think they're maybe they're just a little uh offended by how good looking i am maybe they're like <laughs> we can't trust this guy that's the only thing i can think of i'm, I'm, not, I'm asking cool. a serious question because i find this very interesting a serious question from pk at 9 a.m okay yeah, yeah. i'm sorry you you have to you have to forgive me my heart skipped a beat. because i don't do that um, i mean i don't walk in that world no you don't um i mean i think i can't help but think maybe I mean, the, the the ironic times are my wife is a five-foot-tall redhead, and there are times when when I don't get stopped, but we're walking together. She's the one who gets pulled aside. So it's kind of like, mm, I don't know. Is there a correlation? Is this all a trick? Am I living in a state of reverie? I have no idea. Either way, a serious question from PK at 9 a.m. has been given an answer. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting deal. I mean, I'm, I just have no comprehension of what you must go through because I don't have to do that. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a byproduct of being a mixed-race person yeah. in this day and age. And like I said, I'm not, I don't really take offense to it. 
the, the beauty of, of the pre-check is that you can still get pulled off to the side, but as long as they don't make me take my shoes off, I'm fine. But don't make me, don't make me take my shoes off at 8 a.m. I'm not into that. So have you thought about other stuff, cutting the hair, shortening the hair up? <laughs> oh, don't do no, that. Man. That's no. your calling card. No, no, no. no well, he's done, it, he's done it before, and he just he grew it right back out again. What's well, a hairy dude? He grows it like in half a week. I know exactly. Yeah, the yeah the uh, the wife tells me that when I shave with long hair, I, I look a little too much like an attractive woman. So I, I kind of take that with a grain of salt. But you know, I'm like, all right, I'll take it. You know, she still she still finds me attractive in a certain light. So I'm not going to complain necessarily. But to your point, I shaved on Sunday, and it's already nearing its return. So yeah. don't worry. Okay. I'm, you guys will not be alarmed much longer. Okay. All right, Chris. Well, well, we'll like a full report, you know, kind of before and after your own kind of case study here. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'm happy to. I'm happy to do it, and I'm here for all the serious questions from PK. By the way, I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. All right. So whenever you guys need me. Chris Kimrani. He writes for the Athletic, covers the Utah football team. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. There's Chris Camrani from The Athletic. Coming up next, we're talking the Cougars and Toledo. You know, interesting thing here. BYU's only a slight favorite in this game. It's a field goal. It's been two and a half points somewhere. Toledo doesn't have the brand name of these four programs they played early in the year, but MAC teams always take teams down. And what are the odds BYU's going down? Where would they be at risk of getting beat? What could go wrong? We'll talk about that coming up next with former BYU quarterback turned BYU radio analyst Riley Nelson. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Riley Nelson joins us now on the Sprint special guest line, BYU football radio analyst Sprint. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Morning, fellas. So I'm uh, curious now how you think BYU is going to adjust the offense going forward, if at all, with uh, Tyson Williams out, because they were getting some pretty good production out of him, and then all of a sudden he's gone. How does this change things, if it does? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, it's it's anyone's guess what they're scheming and what they're and what they're working up. One thing I I think would be good because Lopini Katoa and Emmanuel Asupa have two very different skill sets. Tyson Williams was definitely their most complete back in that uh, in the screen game, and BYU was not very successful in the screen game. Part of that had to do that screens are, are very difficult unless you run them against man coverage a lot. They're very difficult to execute because. Um, you don't have players dropping back in the coverage. There's always that guy that is a sign of the running back to cause problems. But regardless, Tyson was one who could catch the ball and run the ball um, and was both a power runner and, and a speed runner. Now you've kind of got Lupini Cotella, who's uh, more of the quick, fast, catch the ball out of the backfield back. And you've got Emmanuel Asupa, who's more of a kind of linear downhill runner. And so uh, they didn't have – most of their formations were single back to this point in the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them put more two back so that they can have those 
those options on the field. And you can also do a lot of creative things if, if you trust both of those backs to do it. But before, um, I, I, I don't think we'll know what that looks like for the next couple of weeks because I, I honestly think that uh, these next couple games between Katoa and Asupa, that one of those guys is going to have to, well, both of them are going to have to prove what they can do and how they can contribute to this team before they really lock in a, a new scheme going forward. So there was so much emphasis in the offseason and during the season as it was happening to play these four games. The Power Five, they had the toughest schedule. No one's playing that many Power Fives to open the season and whatnot. And, you know, somewhat of a mixed bag. But at the same time, the goal, I think, realistically was to get to two. They got that, right? So in a sense... They're, you know, you want more, but at least you're in a decent spot going forward. So now you don't play these power fives the rest of the way, right? So you have this schedule being what it is. How do you make sure that the team doesn't have any form of a letdown because there was such a buildup and now you got Toledo, which obviously is not a premier program on the level of SC in Washington? Yeah. Um, it should be pretty easy, at least from my point of view. When you pop on the tape, when you when you're if you're being self honest with yourself, your rush defense is something that's that's uh, you know you're ranked in the triple you're ranked in the hundreds as far as rush defense, and then you pop on the tape and you're like, holy cow, Toledo runs the ball and they run it well, and not only do they run it well, they run it out of a spread option attack, which we haven't seen. We faced a lot more you know single back quarterback turnaround, hand the ball off type scheme so we've got uh, we've got a significant challenge uh ahead of us and then as an offense you pop on the tape and you're like all right these guys you know they score lots of points and just had a shootout with colorado state so we should be able to break out and you know get into the 30s or 40s of points which is an offense you want to be in every game but byu has won close grinding games and then you know, South Florida is what South Florida is. Uh, that presents its unique challenge. BYU is a program. I know it's not as relevant to this team, but as a program, it's never won in the state of Florida. I think that's it's a decent opportunity with South Florida, but at the same time, you're going to pop on the tape there and see dudes running around that have elite quickness and speed. Now, they might not be elite football players, but the speed is up there with the best. And then, and then comes Boise and Utah State, who there's a good chance that both those teams will be ranked at the time that you play them, and, uh, you know, your track record again, close loss that you feel like you should have had up in Boise last year, so you're seeking revenge there, as well as it's always a tough game against Boise. And then Utah State's had your number each of the last two years and absolutely embarrassed you at home last year. So as I look at the next four, you've got potentially two ranked opponents. You've got a Toledo opponent that, um, if, if any of them are smart, you know can bite you and embarrass you if you let off the gas even a little bit. So... I think that's how you approach it is it doesn't have the uh, extrinsic factor, factors of being like a P5 or, or this or that, but they're good football teams and they're quality wins that uh, if you can get them, help build your resume to being relevant uh, as the season goes on, which is the goal for any program. So against uh, an opponent that might be not quite as big, not quite as fast, even if they're still good, and the fact that Zach Wilson is coming up on now almost a year's full of because he started the second half of last season. He's got four games under his belt here. Do you expect to see him take a step forward? Is the game going to slow down and all those things we're familiar with hearing? Uh, is he about ready to make a jump, you think, based on the experience and the competition? Yeah, I do. I, um, 
Here's the biggest thing I'm looking for, and I'll know that he's taken that step. He's he's always been able to produce the big play. One of the things that I'm that I really want to see, and this is a combination between the game plan going in, the play calling it, and then Zach Wilson's execution, because you could argue that the game plan hasn't really been ultra conducive to to what I'd like to see, and that is a consistent quick game to intermediate range, you know, a moving the sticks passing game. Not just we get to third down and we got to throw it up or we need a big play so we got to try and push the ball down the field or game. so whether it's mixing in play action or whether it's short to intermediate routes being highly efficient in that, throwing a lot on first down, putting yourself in favorable second down, you know, second down in short positions or getting ahead of the sticks and getting majority of your first downs. You know, one of the things I was so impressed with Washington, there was a point in the game, they had 25 first downs, uh, but only six third down conversions, which means they were absolutely lead on first and second down. And I think that should be a goal for BYU and for Zach Wilson. But in order to do that, you need to be deadly throwing the ball on, on first and second down. And so as they uh, put more trust in Zach, he, you know, I, what I'd love to see is him rise to that occasion, reward the coaches for that trust they put in him, and be a highly executing quarterback on first and second down in the short to mid-range pass game. If he can do that over these next couple weeks, then, yeah, I think it's safe to say he's taken a step forward. He's on the right track of progression that all of us hope to see from him. And, you know, he's he's becoming the player that everyone has kind of put their hopes in to be the next great one at BYU. So you look at the first four games, and it looks like Utah and Washington were the two toughest opponents, and that's where they had the turnovers for BYU's offense. How much does the level of competition correspond to the amount of turnovers? Yeah, I think it I, it corresponds a lot, and but not so much. Well, it, it's it's a mixed bag, right? It, at least as I'll evaluate BYU's turnovers, uh, as much as the Utah and Washington defenses were opportunistic in, in creating and capitalizing on you know fumbles put on the ground or, or errant throws. I feel like it was more, as I watched this BYU team, they had a, there was a pressure to do more, to do extra, right? Like, let's just take the two uh, against the Washington, uh, against Washington last week. That, the sack fumble that was returned for a touchdown, Zach Wilson, that was all out blitz. That was cover zero. There was no safety help. They were showing at the snap that they were going to bring all out blitz. And whether they do or not, because oftentimes they'll give that look and then they'll bail out. Whether they do or not, as a quarterback, you got to know, all right, this ball's, I'm catching this shotgun snap and the ball's coming out of my hand right now. And if I can't, if I don't have a clean look to release the ball now, I got to protect the ball. It'd try and maybe find a seam to get something with my feet or get down and protect it. Instead, Zach, you know, hitched a couple times, was hanging on, waiting for his receiver because they were in press man coverage, waiting for his receiver to create some kind of separation uh, against tough man coverage and gets and get strip-sacked. Um, so that, to me, was a time where a mental decision led to a physical decision. And then that fumble in the first drive of the second half that really took the wind out of out of BYU's sails was one where they it was a third and seven. Uh, Dax Milne completes it. He catches the pass. He's got the third down converted. He's up against the sideline. And instead of going out of bounds and, and moving the sticks and living to play another day, the safety's got an angle on him. He tries to cut back against the guy against the sideline, and as he does, uh, the safety 
puts his helmet on the ball, pops it out, and they turn it over, and, you know, the route was on from there. So two instances of guys just trying to do more than you need to do. I don't think you feel the pressure to need to hold on to the ball the last second or to try and cut back for a few extra yards against uh, against an opponent that you feel evenly matched or that you have the athletic advantage against. That only happens when there's when it's either the mystique of a P5 or the fact that they're ranked or the fact that you just get out on the field and you're like, man, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger than we are, and you feel that added pressure. And it's natural to feel that pressure, but the reality is if you can somehow shake that off and play as if they're a normal opponent, you actually give yourself a better chance for success uh, because you're going to eliminate more of those mental mistakes. So the trade-off of playing against uh, eliminating mental mistakes and everything you just lay out versus not having the adrenaline rush of walking into Tennessee and there's 100,000 people there and it's a game of emotions so they really bring it, what's going to lead to a better BYU performance? Because it, it feels like they really rode the adrenaline in the two games they won. Yeah, DJ, you, that's a, that has been one of my bigger worries. Um, aside from the, the tempoed spread option run attack that Toledo runs, the smallest crowd that this BYU team has played against so far this season is 62,000, right? And the biggest was 94 against Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how many Toledo will show up at Toledo, but it's probably going to be somewhere around 30,000, give or take five, like on a, on a good day. That's assuming a lot of BYU fans show up, I think. Um, and that is a different feel. <laughs> I remember I had a couple of games – um, one I remember was in good old Las Cruces down at New Mexico State. Uh, another one was at San Jose, San Jose State throughout my career where I got out for the first snap and my normal yell for the cadence actually echoed back <laughs> on me for, from the emptiness of the stands. And that's a, it's kind of a disheartening feeling because you feel like you're big time. It's college football and it's all those things. And it, can, it, it really does release, release that, that adrenaline, that ampness that you have. Uh, going into a game and it's an adjustment that you better make quickly because if you lower I can tell you for sure Toledo and all and and the rest of you know at least these next four opponents they're all good enough that if BYU doesn't bring it if they don't manufacture that own energy that maybe they're not getting from a big stadium or a nationally televised type environment uh, they're gonna get they're gonna get snake bit and that's something they better account for. So you're a local guy. What do you think of the Utes and Cougars having a two-year sabbatical again here in a few years? I'm okay with it. I get it. I, I think uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, so to speak. So that I totally get Utah has an opportunity to get a home-and-home home with Florida, and uh, Florida never crosses the Mississippi. Maybe to go to Texas, right? But they never cross the Mississippi um, for a non-conference game if it's not Texas. And so to get a chance for them to come to Salt Lake City, I think uh, I can, as, as a BYU fan who would love to see that rivalry, and I, I know there are many who would like to see that rivalry play every year. Uh, the two-year hiatus doesn't bother me. I, I wouldn't ever like to see it more extended than two years. And if we are going to have to take a two-year break, I would like to see them follow it up with a significant series of game, which was, was just announced. So, uh, I would hope they can find a way to work it out to play every year, but in this instance, uh, I get it. And with the changing landscape of college football, uh, it, I think it's going to have to, at least as the landscape of college football exists today, I think it's going to happen. have to happen every so often. Um, but for me, kind of the right pacing, if it can happen once every 
you know, decade to 15 years, that's probably the, that's probably the closest or that's probably the right cadence for me. So in the release where the uh, teams confirmed these scheduling changes, there was a quote from Tom Holmo that said, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something the effect of, hey, they, they recognize there might be a time when we need to request something like this uh, because of our schedule. And I think every BYU fan who read that and thought about it thought, Notre Dame, have you heard anything? You're walking around the press box. Sometimes you know more than you let on, Riley. What do you know? Yeah, um, good question. You know, Tom is in the level above us in the in the box, so I don't get I don't get to hear much of what's echoing off of off of him. I, I would say this though, uh, as a proponent of the rivalry and one who thinks it should it should be played every year unless in extremely rare circumstances. In a, in essence, uh, in a for BYU's schedule, they have 12 open weeks, right? Utah, because of their commitment to their conference, they really have three weeks to play around with. BYU has 12. So my hope would be that even if they were able to convince Notre Dame to come, which, by the way, I my confidence level in that is like bare, is single digits. It's very low um, because I think Notre Dame's just kicking the can down the road till we finally relent and take a, pay, take a payout. Um, but even if Notre Dame does agree to come, to Provo, there you got eleven other weeks on the schedule where you can find or hopefully work something out to play Utah. PK's got a theory on that. Vegas, baby. There's a new stadium there that might, you know, hey, let's move the game from Provo to Vegas. Would you be okay with that? <laughs> I would be okay with that. And Raiders State that's isn't that for the two most uh, high profile football programs at religious owned schools las vegas could not be a better place to debut you know some kind of neutral site season oh, yeah, i game. see what you did that I, I like that yeah that's a good thinking yeah <laughs> just... that plays right into your line of thinking pk yeah sure. exactly man welcome to sin city it's i mean, Notre Dame I mean and BYU. There's, there's there's good and bad and everything so that that right there that sums it up perfectly the good and bad two god-fearing schools going to vegas that's perfect in the devil's playground. That's yeah. right. You couldn't think of more. The, the juxtaposition, the contrast, the storylines the story abound. Right. I mean, come on. We both know, Riley, God didn't come for the whole. He came for the sick. Vegas is the sick. <laughs> that's right. Get the missionaries out in full force. Get on the corners. Get in the, you know, the casino entrances and invite everybody to come and partake of the of the good word as they watch a football game, right? And yeah. that, that, you're really you're mixing old school classic religion with America's religion, which is football. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes too much sense now. Everybody's welcome yep. if you have $150 per ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. To get just to get in, exactly. and if you want any lower than that, hopefully you had some good luck at the craps tables. Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joins us every week. Riley, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, fellas. There's Riley Nelson from the BYU Radio Broadcast. When we come back, Mike Yam from the Pac-12 Networks. Going to run that uh, Yam and Yogi thing by it. A podcast, a show, where's that going? We'll talk with him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, yesterday, late in the show, we had Mike Yam on. He starts the interview off here, his travel plans and all the uh, talk about flights. It makes more sense if you realize he said this yesterday. Uh, But he did have some interesting stuff to say, being at the Washington State game, watching that UCLA comeback, and uh, having watched the night before the USC-Utah game. So here's Mike Yam with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mike, good morning. Morning, guys. Are we setting up the tea time for Saturday morning? Uh, no. <laughs> nope. Okay. Just uh, wanted to double check and make sure that wasn't the case. I know you guys are in town. I was watching inside the Pac-12 the other night, so I know, I think you're already here. Is that correct? No, yo- I will be there. I'm actually flying in tonight, and Yogi was there yesterday shooting a feature, okay. and he is going to check back in on Friday, so it's a little bit more of a, a whirlwind travel-wise for him, but uh, but I'm geeked up, man. Salt Lake is, is definitely one of my favorite spots. It's it's one of the places where the fans care, so to me, there's always like that added juice that comes with, with just being there around this program, and obviously what happened to both of these teams last week, it's, it's sort of this really important, crucial game for both squads is there i think both utah fans certainly utah and i think washington state fans are probably thinking the same thing which is hey like we feel like we're good enough to go and win a pac-12 championship yeah. problem is when you look at the standings right now you, you got to get this one yep. you know uh the care factor matters because it plays into recruiting kids don't want to go play in a stadium that's empty where they can hear their voice echo back at them i've been to ucla games a handful of games over the years, various opponents. I've been there when there's 50,000 in the stadium, when there's 70. I've been there when it's sold out for an SC game. And you talk about the fans in Utah care. Certainly there's a lack of care factor right now. UCLA fans really turned off by the, year, by the last year and a half. How many other places is that a real issue? Because watching on TV, I think it's an issue at Stanford. Um, it's been an issue at Colorado. Maybe they're bouncing back a little bit. It's been an issue at Oregon State a little bit. How many schools is that really something that they're really working on attendance because they, they've got to do something? Yeah, I think you're, you're right about a couple of those spots in particular. I mean, look, the reality is the TV angles don't lie when you look into the crowd and, and you don't see a packed stadium. You know, I, I actually was at the UCLA-Washington State game this past weekend in Pullman, uh, that's a fan base that really cares. It was sort of cool, though, to see a decent amount of UCLA alumni in the stands, which immediately I, I spent some time on, on the Washington State sideline, and then I went over to the UCLA one. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, you got these fans that'll make the trip up to Pullman. Like, why is it that that they're not filling up the Rose Bowl. Like, what's the issue here? And who knows? I mean, I think a couple of those teams, uh, Stanford excluded from the mix, although I know Stanford's not having a great season right now. Um, I point to the fact that they've played probably the four, they've probably played the toughest four-game schedule of any team in the entire country, besides the point for right now. We'll table that conversation. The other fan bases that you just talked about, like, it's you got to win. 
and some of those teams haven't won. Um, Colorado the other day, and, and certainly they, they came up with a big win against ASU, but the home game against Nebraska was sold out, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it was like their highest revenue game for in like the last 15, 20 years, maybe even ever. I forget what the stat was, but it like shattered a bunch of uh, previous records by a lot. So at least there's there's signs of life with that program uh, with Mel Tucker, and you know, I mean, who knows if if Jonathan Smith and company are able to get a win against Stanford uh, this weekend, maybe there will be more fans showing up in Corvallis. We see that SC owns the tiebreaker over Utah, so there's been some angst here, which I think is kind of silly because the way this conference is, and I think this is the beauty of the conference, you look at an Alabama or whatnot, and you're going to pick maybe automatically they're going to have nine wins just by showing up, and these teams are a little top-heavy. But I can see... All of these teams, you look at both Washingtons, Oregon, SC, Utah, who are recognized as the favorites to win each division. I can see any of these teams losing two or three games, but at the same time, I can also see them winning these games and climbing up the national rankings. And I believe that what, that's what makes the Pac-12 the fun conference that it is. Look, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the entertainment value. Uh, five teams in the top 25. A couple weeks ago, we had six. There's been eight different teams that have sat in that AP top 25 so far this season. The depth of the league, I don't think anyone can argue. I, I, I would point to the Pac-12 conference and say it's the deepest league in the country. I know the critics will go and tell you that there's not an elite team, which I don't totally buy. I think it depends on how you classify elite um and if you call it a top 10 program look i think the reality is by the end of the season there's going to be an elite team and elite teams aren't made in the preseason they're not made in week number one we don't know who they are in week one or two but as the season unfolds like i think there's there are teams that just get better and if you're not getting better there's a problem so um i look at health as a factor i look at guys just growing in their roles i mean if you're telling me washington or Oregon or Utah, if they're the same team in week one that they are in week seven, eight, or nine, like there's a problem there. Um, so I, I would point to consistent growth from a lot of these teams. But I think if you're a Utah fan, you're right. You should be at least a little nervous just because you're looking at the standings. You know what happened to that head-to-head, and you know the talent that SC has. I think the one thing that I would point to if I'm a Utah fan is consistency and toughness. And in my mind, Kyle Whittingham has had the toughest team in the league the last few years. Case in point, you would look at just the last year when Tyler and Zach go down, and they're still able to, to figure out a way to get to a Pac-12 championship game in a jumbled up. Uh, South Division. Um, look, I, I still need to see more consistency from USC. And I think when Kyle and that staff goes back to the tape and, and we had some opportunities to watch back large chunks of that game, like they weren't outplayed. Um, and there's a couple of explosives, and I think I think that's a cause for concern because we hadn't seen, nor did we think, uh, a Utah defense, specifically some of those guys in the secondary, would get beat like they did. So I think that was jarring for fans. But you know, to me, I would just point to drives that weren't finished. Like, I, I didn't watch that game and go, man, like, Utah just got, got their doors blown out, blown off and, and got outplayed. Like, I didn't see it that way. Um, and I do think they're a more consistent team. So, in my mind, I, I still think there's definitely a path to see Utah back in that championship game. 
So when we watch USC and Washington Saturday afternoon, are we going to see Chris Peterson and Washington getting it together? Are we going to see an obviously inexperienced team realize they're pretty talented, they're getting coached up, they're taking the next step, and Washington's about to go win a third title in four years, that this really is the class program in the league? Look, I, I think there's no doubt Chris Peterson's got one of the premier teams in this conference. Uh, you look at recent history, and then you just look at personnel on this squad. I, I think I think when you look at this team's defense, nine new starters, and they are young, and I think the one loss that they have, which was a weird game, uh, you know, Pac-12 well after midnight is what I would describe it, and an early Sunday morning finish when there's a two-and-a-half-hour lightning delay against Cal – their game plan, guys, was the right one. You know, I think you look at the tape and you look at evidence and you say to yourself, can Chase Garbers beat you? And the answer up until that game was no. So they wanted him to make and force him to make critical throws. Tip your cap to him. He did exactly just that in that fourth quarter. So I didn't look at the game plan as the wrong one for Washington. I just go, hey, really good win and nice job by the Cal Bears. Um, I, I think when you look at SC and a matchup like this, you know, Washington has had a lot of success against Washington State in this air raid offense. Now, I, I think it's different what Graham Harrell's doing. They're going to run the football a little bit more than Mike Leach is going to run it. But the reality is, like, they have so many moving parts. Like, we did a breakdown. I know you guys referenced inside Pac-12 football uh, on Tuesday night. And Yogi did a breakdown about, you know, this matchup in particular and what Washington has done historically against air raid defenses. And, you know, Matt Fink, Tip your cap to him, man. The dude balled out as a third-string quarterback against one of the premier teams, I think, in the entire country in Utah, and he gets that win. But I I still look at this Washington defense and the amount of movement. Like, if you compare uh, what that secondary has been doing against air raid offenses versus what Utah is doing, like there's a significant step up in the challenge um, just in terms of movement of personnel to make and, and disguising things to make things difficult on the quarterback. Like Matt, Matt is going to be, he's going to have his work cut out for him. If SC gets a win on the road, I, man, I, I don't know about Utah, to be honest with you, winning that South division. And I know consistency is an issue, but if SC can get a win like that and already beat Utah, to me, the Trojans, clearly thrust themselves into the favorite spot in that division. Yeah, if they win in Seattle, I'd have to agree with that. I was watching your show, Inside the Pac-12, but we've decided that we need to rename it and reclassify it as (laughs) Yam and Yogi. Uh, can you do me a favor? Like when we hit the break, if I gave you my boss's numbers, yeah. could you call them and pass that feedback along? Um, you know, it's funny, Yogi and I, it, it's guys like, and I appreciate you guys even watching and, and even bringing up uh, the fact that we're doing that show. It is so much fun. And it's a 30-minute show, and, like, we don't even get to get, like, everything in. So Yogi and I have been doing, like, our own little web show that we've been posting on Instagram and Twitter where we do, like, everything that we don't get in the show uh, with a little bit more fun. So I, I do appreciate it. We don't call it the Yam and Yogi show. It's called The One but because uh, it's, it's basically, like, one topic or one game or one play or something like that that we focus in on. But we've been having a blast. Uh, so I suggested yesterday during the show that Yam and Yogi should be the name of that show, and our producer, Jake Yock, quickly said, that sounds like a podcast. That's what you got going, this uh, you know, extra time. It's a podcast. No, there it is, Yam and Yogi. No, just I, wanted, run with it. I wanted an hour on the Pac-12 network. I bought Comcast so I can get 
the Pac-12 Network. Oh, so I, I want that. I want Yam and Yogi with the banner Why Watch. I like it. I, I, I once again, I'm seriously <laughs> going to give you guys my boss's number. Let's get this going. You know, Yogi's got like ten podcasts though, so like I don't like he is he's stretched thin in that world. He's got his personal one. He is his broadcast partner on games is Ted Robinson. They're doing a podcast with their producer Mike Molinari on Sunday. So like there's. There's content out there with Yogi, but um, you know we, we are, we're diving in deep on Tuesdays, and uh, like I said, it really has been a blast. But we, if it was up to us, we'd do a show every single day. Like We love it. Why watch with Yogi and Yam? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So the only, can, we, hold on, can we go Yam and Yogi? I okay, think Yam and Yogi's fine. I'm free Yam either way. But the why watch, you're playing off the why, why watch yeah. with Yam and Yogi. I, I like There's it. There's no other I show actually, in the country like, that can match that. I know. You're right. <laughs> like, what? I think the Pac-12 Network is really dropping the ball. Yes. We need to get on this. I'm I, calling Larry after now, the show. Now, I'll tell you <laughs> this. Do this. I'll tell you this, Mike. You can give me the number, but we're no longer joking around. If you tell me, tell these guys what you think, you got to be careful. PK, back me up. Do I mean, haven't people learned not to do that? Because I'll just yeah, but you don't box them in a corner. You present them in a way that, that will allow them to think it's their idea, and you run with it. That's the part I'm not so good Look, at. And you, you, I'm with you there. Like I have become muted in meetings. I think people are tired of hearing from me. You know, I've been at the network since we launched. This is our eighth season. So after eight years, sometimes the message coming out of my mouth is not resonating in the in that room. So. I have uh, I've leaned on guys like Yogi who have like this great demeanor and this charm and charisma where they like, everyone loves them. So like, hey, Yogi, I think you should suggest this. Like, <laughs> it, you know, Rick Neuheisel used to tell me a story when he worked with us. He said when they when he was a coach at UCLA and Mike Riley was at Oregon State, they'd be in coaches meetings and the coaches would all want to do something. And they all say, well, we can't ask if we ask Mike Riley to ask. We'll get it done because, you know, Mike goes in there, the golly geez. And oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, 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 like this. So I, I think this is the game plan for the uh, for that show. So the second thing I would change with the network, since you've now given me the keys to the castle and the phone number, <laughs> is the scheduling in the Pac-12. Everyone complains about the way the SEC schedules and the Pac-12 should copy it. Maybe not the eight conference games, nine conference games. I get that. But the SEC sprinkles the Citadels, the lower division teams, throughout the schedule to create at least semi-bye weeks. The Pac-12, from the get-go, Larry Scott said, you have to play the three weeks so we have maximum flexibility. No, because now the Pac-12 network, you guys had like six games week three. You couldn't even get it. You had to regionalize some of them. Nobody has enough content here. You should be spreading those out throughout the year. You're going to have games where you have weeks where you have zero or one game. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the the, the scheduling has been something we've talked about internally a, a ton. And and I think you're right. When you compare it to the SEC model, I, I'd actually take it a step further. I know you were hedging on the, the eight-game uh, conference slate. Like, I'm all about that. I think if you look at the college football playoff and, you know, the reality is now college football is geared towards the semifinals, right, in those four teams. And even if you're in a signature bowl, that was this classic game. If it's not one of those um, sites for a college football playoff, like it doesn't seem to resonate as much and it doesn't grab as much national attention from the media. So to me, if you look at, at what the CFP has been, 
guys, the, the teams and the conferences that have been left out are the ones that play nine conference uh, yeah. games. I mean, the ACC and, and the SEC, they, they've been in, in it every single year. And granted, it's Alabama and Clemson. But look, I mean, you, you're generating automatic losses into your league. I'm a huge fan of 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 playing the eight or, or playing nine. It doesn't really matter to me as long as everyone's doing it. I've talked to David Shaw about this a ton. And how do you go and sit there and, and, and really evaluate – um, you know, apples to apples, like these schedules, like it's just really hard. And I know he's been a big champion for consistency across the board. I hope to God we get to that point because it is, it's frustrating. I've done the mock selection and I, I just wish people understood the challenges and the losses that automatically are generated. Like you, you have guaranteed losses with a nine game conference schedule that you don't have when you play eight in some of those other leagues like the SEC. It's just this uphill battle and, and I'm, I'm with you guys on it. Yeah, the thing is, the four California teams insist on playing each other. And so if you go from nine games down to eight, now USC and UCLA aren't going to the Oregon and Washington schools as often, and they're not going to have any yep. of that because those are huge crowds, and, and their fan bases want USC and UCLA to come up there. So You're right. And look, I mean, we've, we've had these conversations. It's like 9 a.m. start time or not having a 9 a.m. start time. Like The reality is people, no matter what decision you, you're, you make – people are going to be upset with it. There's always going to be this small group. So to me, I'd go like, hey, what's the majority and how do we how do we put ourselves in a position to compete at the highest level for national championships? Um, and to me, you get some daddies and you get some more respect on, on the West Coast teams. I, I think the fans will still be pretty excited about that. He's Mike Yam. Look for Yam and Yogi, a podcast, a TV show, possibly <laughs> some coffee table books, lots of photos. Coming your way. Thanks, Mike. I love it. Guys, you guys are the best. Thank you again. There's Mike Yam from the Pac-12 Networks. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.